Healthcare systems aren't used to looking beyond their walls to come up with better ways to care for patients. However, the need to move from volume to value and to better serve and improve the health of overall populations is forcing those who shape healthcare delivery to admit they don't have the ready-made strategies often required, and they could use some help. So that's music to the ears of community groups and agency. Many have been focused on improving social determinants of health for years. These Actors now see an opening to work with healthcare systems badly in need of their expertise. But nothing is simple. Community health advocates and leaders must also sharpen their skills in order to work more effectively with vulnerable individuals and to achieve better and more sustainable health outcomes. And partnerships with healthcare cannot afford to leave out the very people whose lives are at stake in the community. They also get a big say. So it's a tall order, but we're finding out it's possible to do things better and differently, and we're going to explain the what, why, and where on this edition of WIHI. And welcome to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live bi-weekly, and after the show, you can find us on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I'm also IHI's Director of Communications. Like any living, breathing effort to improve people's lives and their health involving multiple players, mistakes get made. But whereas in the past that might have meant loss of trust and even game over in some instances, people not wanting to work together, the initiative we're tapping into on today's WIHI, known as SCALE, and we'll explain more about that in a moment, has adopted the exciting principle of learning from failure in order to keep going. In other words, failing forward quickly and effectively. So we're going to get right to introductions and dig into this topic with your help. But first, as always, here's IHI's John Gothier, and he's going to remind you how to be part of today's show. Thanks, John. All right. Thanks, Madge. Um, Just a few items to point out to help everybody make the most of today's program. On the right of the screen is the chat window. And if you've tuned into WIHI before, you know about the great conversation that takes place in the chat. It's also where you can ask our panelists your questions. So make sure that your questions and comments are directed to all participants when Madge opens up the floor questions. This allows our panelists and your colleagues on the WebEx to see all the questions and comments that are being shared. Uh, now, there are a few ways that people have connected to WIHI today. If you're logged onto the computer and listening to the program by streaming audio coming through speakers or your headphones, you'll see a box in the top right-hand corner. It's called Audio Broadcast. If you're on a less reliable internet connection today, we recommend calling in on the phone. If you experience any audio issues, please send a quick message to the host in the chat, and a simple solution to any audio hiccup may be to pause the WebEx audio player and then press play again. If that problem keeps up, please let the folks at iChat Customer Service know. Their number's on the screen right now. Also, if you're hoping to get your hoping to get your hands on today's slides, uh, there's a direct download link in the chat right now. Tomorrow, they'll be posted at our archive over at ihi.org slash WIHI, along with the chat and other helpful articles and resources mentioned by our guests. You can also email info at ihi.org, and they will send them your way. And finally, we're always looking for ways to improve the listener experience here on WIHI. Please take some time after the program to fill out a quick survey and let us know what we've done. Back to you, Mitch. All right, and we'll turn to the chat and your comments and questions at about the halfway mark of the show. You can always tweet 
during and after the program. And thanks for including at the IHI and the hashtag WIHI in your tweets so we can connect up with others for the conversation. So let me get right to introductions. Joining by phone, we have Amy Budnick. She's currently the Pathways Community Hub Director at Akron Summit Community Action, Inc., where she is developing a community care coordination initiative to address infant mortality. Much of this work has evolved in the past two years during the SCALE initiative. Welcome, Amy. Welcome, everyone. Okay. Terrific. Thanks. Also on the phone, we have Kim Fairley. She is Care Management Supervisor for the North Colorado Health Alliance. Uh, Kim was the Local Improvement Advisor for the Health Alliance in the SCALE initiative. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. Uh, Hello, everyone. Hi. Great. Joining us also by phone from New York City, where he's got his AC on. We almost thought we had to turn it off, but I guess it's getting warmer in our neck of the woods anyway. We've got Paul Howard. He's the Director of Community Initiatives for 100 Million Healthier Lives at IHI, and he leads several national projects focused on improving health, well-being, and equity in communities. Welcome, Paul. Hello, everyone. And here in the studio, right across from me, is Shoma Stout. She's a vice president at IHI and the executive lead for the 100 Million Healthier Lives Initiative, of which SCALE is a significant part. All that's going to be explained in just a moment, uh, so don't despair. Welcome, Shoma. Thank you, Matt. All right. So we're going to get underway, and we're going to start with Paul, uh, who's going to kind of get us going on uh, basically some of the the, the basics uh, of scale. And uh, Paul, get to my. Tell us the context uh, briefly about scale and what's unique about its ambitions, and we're going to throw up some slides that hopefully will help uh, kind of underscore some of what Paul will describe. Thanks, Paul. Great. Thanks, Madge. Um, I'll start with a a very brief interview of 100 Million Healthier Lives, just a bit of context. So IHI convened 100 Million Healthier Lives as an unprecedented collaboration to achieve an unprecedented result, which will be 100 million people living healthier lives by 2020. I think we're well on our way toward meeting this goal with over 1,100 members who together reach over 300 million people. And to make sure we're laser-focused on equity and reducing disparities, we're continually asking ourselves, who isn't thriving? And what would it take to change that? So there's a whole lot more about 100 Million Healthier Lives, but I want to transition to talking about our first community-based initiative known as Spreading Community Accelerators Through Learning and Evaluation, or SCALE for short. Scale 1.0 ran from uh, 2015 through early 2017 with funding from the Robert Johnson Foundation and was a collaboration between IHI, Communities Joined in Action, Community Solutions, and the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement. And Madge is asking to talk about what made Scale 1.0 unique. To start with, deeply partnered with 24 communities at various stages of readiness that were working on a wide range of topic areas, such as homelessness or healthy eating or management of chronic conditions. And while so many initiatives focus on improvements for a single topic and work with a homogenous group, Yale had a different approach. We instead asked, what if we could help a diverse group of communities develop the skills and behaviors to improve any aspect of health or equity? 
But to do that, each Scale 1.0 community created coalitions that worked across sectors. So healthcare, public health, uh, local community-based organizations, and of course the people most affected, affected by the issues worked together to co-design solutions. And talking about solutions, IHI, our partners and communities, co-designed a model of community transformation that we call a community of solutions. It's basically a set of skills and behaviors that, if adopted, over time lead to improvements in community health, well-being, and equity. We trained communities, provided coaching and opportunities for peer-to-peer -peer support between the communities and among the communities on a full range of scales. Uh, skills. They included things like reflective practices, how to collaborate and use systems thinking. We're IHI, so the IHI model for improvement figured centrally in our work on design thinking, and then applying known skills and tools to increase equity and sustainability. We also work to help communities adopt mindsets, and one mindset known as failing forward really resonated with our communities, and it just so happens to be part of the title for today's WIHI segment, so I thought I'd briefly explain it. So imagine, if you can, a baby learning to walk for the first time. He gets to a standing position, takes that cautious first step, a too fast second step, and goes tumbling down. Now imagine her parents have, have said to her, you had your chance at walk, but failed, and will now just crawl from now on. And this, of course, sounds absurd, but it's anal analogous to what we do to ourselves in community health when we subconsciously adopt mindsets such as get it right the first time, hide your mistakes, and only share your successes. So our Scale 1.0 communities really embraced this mindset, and it opened them up to testing new things, sharing their failing forward moments with each other, and seeing mistakes as a necessary steps in the journey toward health, well-being, and equity. And we discovered that by sharing our failing forward moments, we can often learn more than if we were just to share our successes. Imagine, just imagine how much faster we could improve health and equity in our communities if we developed an army of people who shared their failing forward moments as openly as their successes. Okay, Paul, thanks. Well, I try to imagine that, as I know all of you uh, do every day who are working on scale 100 million healthier lives. Paul, thanks so much for that really nice uh context and introduction there, uh, which leads us very nicely to Amy Budnick, and who's going to tell us uh, about what it's meant to use the Pathway Hub model to work on poverty in the area, and in particular to focus in on some uh, health issues in the community. And I do think uh, we're going to hear a, a fair amount about you know each community and its story, and then each of our uh, kind of representatives from the communities will try to explain also some of the failing forward, but listen for it. And if you're not sure you heard it, uh, please ask during the Q&A, and uh, we'd love to hear some of your own uh, moments uh, as you've worked on there. So uh, tell us uh, what's been going on, Amy, with the Pathway Hub mo model, excuse me. And uh, yeah, just, uh, well, let's start off with that. I did want to make sure everyone understood that. Uh, some of you are familiar with it, but not everyone. Go ahead. Absolutely. It's an evidence-based model that was actually co-developed by two physicians that live in Ohio, 
Um, there are currently six hubs in the state of Ohio, and the crux of the model is that it is a community care coordination model that addresses the social determinants of health utilizing community health workers. So at our agency, we're a community action agency, we serve as the fiscal and administrative infrastructure for the community. There's a central software that is utilized by our partner agencies that employ the community health workers. And what's very interesting about the model is it's not very traditionally based in medicine. It's looking at all the other factors that are predictive of health. So on the screen, you can see there are 20 core pathways that um, an individual receives an assessment, and then these particular needs are met. And in partnership with the community health worker, who serves as that primary care coordinator, all of these risks begin to be addressed. And then the communication with the others within the care team around that family. Um, we began our work over two years ago because our infant mortality rates are horrible for F. African-American babies. In some cases, they're two, three, and four times that of white babies. And so when we thought about a new way to not only bring in um, individuals with lived experience, but we knew that there was evidence behind the model to support um, the work that we wanted to do. So we weren't necessarily thinking about um, eliminating those other programs, but how can we communicate in a new way? All right. So let's get into this uh, kind of story here about how you chose to try and address uh, the infant mortality rate. I know community health workers is a big part of that. Uh, and to get there, you had to get others involved uh, in many ways, kind of drawing on this hub. So uh, l- let's hear that story. And perhaps so wh- where where you tumbled and got right up. <laughs> Thanks. Absolutely. So prior to working at my current agency, I had the opportunity to work at the Summit County Public Health Department. And so we had a coalition of individuals who, you know, to use Paul's words, were very, it was very homogenous. We had the same players who sat around the table. And we began to investigate different uh, community care models and trying to figure out what would have the most impact. And that we kept coming back to the Pathways Community Hub. And then we had the opportunity to actually meet the developers who were a key part of our planning process. Um, from there, we were able to leverage funding that was afforded through the state of Ohio Commission on Minority Health and Department of Medicaid. And we began um, and launched officially April of 2016. So we had our first cohort of community health workers. There is an actual certification process in Ohio. So we were able to train and recruit directly from um, some of our offices where these individuals were receiving benefits. And that seemed to be a very key piece, what we felt that created a new synergy in the community. Um, What was interesting, though, is we had had this coalition, but we needed to then lean on this coalition for partnerships who would employ the community health workers. And that was a very unique conversation because it was a new way of wrapping services around 
around the individuals who are most at need. Not only was it a shift from moving from the office to out in the community doing door-to-door outreach at faith-based organizations, it was also a new role for some of these other healthcare team members. So there were very lots and lots of work um, was put in to actually have these conversations and to begin to build this coalition that this is the model that we're going to embrace in the community. So what I want to know, just to make sure that we haven't lost anything here, in working with all of these uh, coalition partners, you started off by saying initially it was very, there were things were very homogenous in your previous job, some of the same people. Now you've got a wide range of organizations. Now that obviously spells great opportunity, but it couldn't have been so simple right off the bat. So what kinds yeah. of things were challenging? Well, and I will say we this is where we really leaned on our learnings from scale. The idea of leading together, leading within, co-designing, and lived experience. The perspective that the community health workers brought forward was so powerful that it brought in new partnerships. And the types of meetings that we started having within the community also drew in new partners. So, for example, there's a pastor that we work very closely with now who is a partner and has community health workers. He was part of these meetings, but it wasn't until he started hearing the data and statistics and realizing the connection to the individuals that he was also consoling during funerals. Um, but there were some difficult conversations, too, because we did have some programs or some individuals that felt that the community health workers could potentially displace their job opportunities. And so we really had to come back around the table and say, you know, what does certain what does a certified community health worker do? What is their role? And then start to really talk about our our successes that we increased our enrollment within six months from zero to ninety people. Um, we were getting very high risk individuals that had not touched other systems typically. So we kind of had to reframe the way that our conversation was um, being held. And I would say that the ideas of failing forward came out very often. And that's um, what we leaned on and started telling our partners as well. We're doing this together. Our numbers have not changed in 10 years. We need a new way to look at this. We're going to communicate with a new type of software and a value-based perspective, and we could also lean on the research that had also been published as well. Uh-huh. And I think there's a nice uh, punchline, if I'm remembering correctly, uh, from <laughs> when we were on the phone uh, planning today, uh, some of, uh, you know, your hard work. Uh, what's happened recently? So one of our newest partners has been the children's hospital in our area. And our understanding is that it is the first children's hospital contract with the Pathways Hub. So typically, children's hospitals will be involved as referral partners, as other hospitals within the Pathways Hub models and sending clients. But this organization actually has community health workers, they've hired new community health workers, and they will be a full onboard partner. I will say, though, it took a year and a half before we were actually able to get to this point. So we had a lot of champions internally within the organization. Um, there was a lot of trust building that had to take place. And overall, I think it's going to be an amazing partnership. Okay. 
So you do shed light on the fact that a lot of the institutions, I know we're looking at the partner organization slide, that uh, just because all these folks are out there doesn't mean that everyone knows how to work together. And you had mentioned that Children's was used to kind of hiring its own people uh, and not necessarily in uh, coordination with others. Right. And sharing the software system. That's been, that was a lot of the conversation. How do we overcome HIPAA, high tech security? What kinds of level of access? Um, what, how do we send referrals securely? So there's pieces that still have to be worked out. And, and going in, my fail, my own personal fail forward was, oh, we'll have all these contracts in place in three months, the first quarter of the grant. And here we are a year and a half later. Um, but I think it speaks to how strongly people feel about the need to reduce the disparity. And we have framed the conversation around equity and the need to improve our outcomes overall in the community because of the connection to the economic um, vitality of our county. Wonderful. Okay. Well, Amy, thanks for kicking this off. And uh, I'm sure people will have a bunch of uh, further questions uh, for you. Uh, so thanks so much. All right. We're going to move out now from Ohio to northern Colorado and to Kim Fairley. There's a uh, community health worker theme to this, too. And I think the issue uh, that the team decided to take on is one that I think is very familiar uh, to many. Go ahead, Kim. So thank you, Amy, for laying out so nicely the community health worker model. Um, the North Colorado Health Alliance has had a community health worker model for five years, and we have really primarily worked in the healthcare arena, and so we've partnered with hospitals, clinics, and um, providing resources and helping individuals with social determinants of health. And um, as a result of the scale um, project. One of the deliverables was for us to um, perform an action lab, and the action lab model is to take an initiative, a community level initiative, and work towards a systems change. And so, what we came up with was to ad- try to address the ongoing issue that we've had in our community for so many years around how to address non-emergent 911 calls. Um, in our community, about 2% of uh, 911 calls are actual emergencies. And um, so our first responders and our law enforcement are typically the people that are first on scene for those uh, 911 calls, and so many of them are non-emergent, so individuals typically end up in the emergency room or the jail in our community. And so we took this action lab model and said, what can we do with community partners that we've never worked with before? And so we took law enforcement, urgent responders, the community health workers from the North Colorado Health Alliance, individuals from the local behavioral health organization, and the jail and municipal courts, and we Police and fire were so big in this um, partnership. And so we used this model. We worked for 100 days, which is how this Action Lab model is designed, is to do a sprint for 100 days to see what you can accomplish. 
And our primary goal was to uh, design strategies around prevention and diversion. And we really took this, the community health worker model into this arena where they had not even been introduced to us before, except for police. No one had worked with us on this level before. We had not worked with the jail. We had not been able to get into the jail to um, connect with our members that had gone to jail and maybe they didn't have their medications. They didn't have anyone there for discharge planning um, from municipal courts. We were able to connect with the courts to say, okay, how can we help these individuals prevent them from getting warrants if they miss a court date? And um, just the overall response. What happens when law enforcement or urgent responders come on scene and how do they respond differently? And so um, our diversion method was very successful because they were able to divert individuals to the crisis center. Um, they were able to get individuals connected with a behavioral health um, crisis worker or a community health worker on scene because we did ride-alongs with police and fire. And um, this is a flow chart that we put together for the three types of primary responses um, on, regarding diversion. And um, the flow chart is now being used. We're doing training with law enforcement and first responders, and it's now being used. And they are carrying that in their vehicles. And um, we have all of the critical contact numbers for people to get the needs met immediately and get resources to these individuals, get them connected to a community health worker, and get them the ongoing support that they need. Wow. So I'm going to, so we're going to, this is the flow chart for diversion, uh, which is incredible on paper, but actually activating it. And I love the image of first responders having this uh, with them. Uh, that's kind of uh, almost a dream come true in terms of this type of work. <laughs> and um, the next two slides, John, I just want to put up there. And again, reminder to everybody, there's a link up there and this will also all be on our website. Uh, interesting to, to again uh, see all the agencies involved in this work in this action lab and the particular work uh, that um, each of them uh, was responsible for to make things work. So I guess I want to ask you quickly before we turn to Shoma for some reflections on this and thank Shoma for a lot of the chatting in already, where would you say there were uh, some fail forward um, uh, instances in this? So we really established a strong foundation in the beginning um, because we were working with so many different agencies and we had an interagency agreement already in place. So those agencies that we added for this particular model and this initiative, we all were on an interagency agreement to be able to share information. But that was easier to have been done because the... Um, the barriers that we found were that each agency had a little bit different uh, interpretation of how we can share information and if it was HIPAA protected. And so one of the methods that we tried was let's just put it on a shared um, Google Drive and everyone can access 
the spreadsheet and then we're not emailing it publicly and um, there were also barriers to that for individual agencies that could not access Google Docs from their uh, systems. So we ended up using secure email systems to be able to share the file, which was a little bit more cumbersome. And um, and yet, as we moved through this process, we quickly addressed any barriers so that we could keep moving. Mm-hmm. Um, the other issue, I think, was um, one of the other barriers was for fail forwards was that we identified that when out in the community, um, when we typically would have someone respond and then take an individual to the crisis center or hand them off to a community health worker. We identified that we needed that warm handoff to be uh, an extended period of time. Rather than five minutes, we needed to address um, and have that first responder there for an extended period of time, maybe 15 minutes, just to make certain that that warm handoff was successful. And that was because the trust was established with the initial contact with the first individual and then doing that warm handoff, we, we found that many of these individuals just didn't trust that next agency so quickly. Mm-hmm. So um, I saw a question really quickly. I wanted to respond to say that sure. we are, we started this in September and our hundred days ended in January and the phase that we are currently in is um, leadership in the community has adopted this and we are looking towards sustainability, which means we're looking for uh, sustainable funding for a coordinator and to fund positions to ride along with the um, first responders and law enforcement to um, continue this model. So we're really, really excited about it. I don't blame you. Um, sounds really, really good. Thanks, Kim uh, and Amy both. Uh, they've packed a lot, not just 100 days, but quite a bit of, of work uh, that uh, uh, has gone on in, into our, our um, time slots here on WIHI. And um, I also want to, I'm just going to, Shoma's going to offer some reflections. Uh, one thing that I really struck me, I don't know that when we talk about building partnerships uh, and coalitions that we talk a lot about technology and software and data sharing, uh, but that's clearly something I'm sure you have all learned about in spades. Uh, and the other thing I was thinking about, it's a reminder that we're dealing with people just because we come up with a great diversion. Uh, if lots and lots of individuals feel the safest thing when a first responder comes is that they're going to be taken, say, to a hospital. Uh, there is also a whole learning there uh, about being able to trust uh, being going somewhere else. So anyway, over to you, Shoma. Thanks. Thank you so much, Madge, and I'm so grateful to Kim and Amy for sharing their stories. You know, I think one of the the key parts of this is, you know, it's all it's recognizing and expecting uh, failure as a normal part of how one learns and gets to high performance. Just as Paul said at the beginning, knowing that the way the child is going to learn to walk 
is by getting up, trying and falling a bunch of times. And that that is a necessary part of the growth process. If you know that, um, we would spend, I suspect, a lot less time uh, in conference rooms planning for three months, six months, a year, and then going out in the field, falling and saying, oh my gosh, this didn't work when we assessed it several months later. So it's really, these teams exemplify that idea of making, um, of uh, surfacing failures in real time, a normal part of how you get to high performance and valuing those failures as like rich treasures um, to uh, learn how where the system is working and where it isn't and where things need to be adjusted uh, really quickly. Um, so as as I hear um, Amy and Kim's story, I think there's there are other pieces of this that I hope you're beginning to see. The idea that um, they were able to create so much more together and achieve so much more together than uh, they might alone. Collaboration itself is not a simple uh, game, as uh, Madge pointed out. It takes uh, things happen at the speed of trust, and trust is built not only on uh, is built on the back of relationships and then clarity of of agreements and a sense of ownership and engagement in the process and continued learning where you thought you had agreement, but actually you didn't because how you interpreted data agreements, for instance, were slightly different. Um, so I just wanted to highlight some of these uh, reflections from listening to both of these stories, you know, and it's it's the learning that happens when you get to the real person that you're hoping to serve at the end of the day. You know, when you learn from that Medicaid mom that, hey, I've got a great care coordinator for you. And she says, add them to the list. I have somewhere between five and 15, which is the average for Medicaid families and saying, wait a minute, do we really need to throw another care coordinator at this family or do we need to change the system? I think that ability to learn together with people with lived experience of knowing that our, if our system worked well, as we know, every system is perfectly designed to obtain the results that it gets. If our system worked perfectly, we would have great health outcomes and no disparities. Since we don't have that, we know that it's actually our systems that need to change. And so we need to be able to surface those. And I think it's just been, uh, these are two great stories and we could go on forever sharing more uh, about ones that uh, throughout scale that we learned. And, and we put in the chat box earlier a place where you could learn more about these stories at 100mlives.org forward slash community. You'll see a running strip with uh, the stories of communities where people describe what they've done, what their community was all about, but also their fail forward stories because it became a cultural norm within communities and between communities to share those stories that are where, where they got scraped elbows and bruised knees in order to be able to advance uh, their work. Because what we learned is that it's not the best practice that often is what is most valuable in sharing. It's actually where things didn't work as well. Um, as we think about the next phase of scale, for those of you who have been inspired by these stories and are interested in learning more, uh, there will be an opportunity uh, for those of you who are interested uh, to take part in three different uh, programs. Um, scale Regions of Solution uh, will take these eight, 18 of these scale communities that, um, like uh, you know, like the ones that you just heard about, will spread um, these kinds of approaches, these ways of doing their work differently to four to six communities around them. The idea in scale is not that there's one solution or a perfect solution that we're going to teach you. We're going to teach you a new way of learning how to do your business so that you get much better outcomes. You learn and, and fail forward quickly and that you um, create a thriving, joyful change process. Um, states of solution will, will 
take that kind of approach and help two states or more uh, address equity uh, at a statewide level. That doesn't mean necessarily that all of everybody in the same in the state is going to do exactly the same thing. It's actually about connecting networks of communities, learning how to do equity action labs, for instance, and creating equity bright spot site visits where you might go from one place to another and see how another community is doing it. One of the things we've come to value is learning from each other's um, assets as well as each other's fail forward stories. And nothing does that better than being part of each other's uh, equity action labs, for instance, and seeing how that happens. And then finally, Chai, which is open to anyone. It's an online training and coaching and support system that any community anywhere can use to be able to learn how to do this. And finally, there will be a special initiative for healthcare organizations that are on this journey to population health, really learning about the roles that healthcare organizations can play uh, in that journey uh, and learning how they might be able to uh, advance uh, to, to, to assess where you are, to understand the different kinds of work that you can do that are sort of distinct but related pieces of work, how you can use the assets you already have in ways that you could never imagine. If you think about these two stories, you know, you see how much more resource was in the community that just wasn't being used in an effective way. And by thinking about how to use it, use those resources in a different way, they could get far better outcomes at a, at a lower cost. And I think that's the dream we're all uh, pursuing in healthcare to achieve the triple aim, I think this is just a, a one, this gives you a set of tools and really um, turbochargers your efforts to get to the, the triple aim by being able to have far greater impact based on the learning that we've had for systems that have been on this journey for a long time. Uh, and systems like you who will hopefully be learning in this way. And we're hoping that 500 healthcare organizations will choose to be some of the pioneers in, in scale health and care, just as these 24 communities have been in the first phase of scale. Thanks so much, Shoma. And I think people should be on the lookout for more information about this. The good news is the work has been funded to continue. So that question about sustaining gains and uh, will clearly be worked on by many of the communities as the ideas spread out uh, to more community groups and uh, community settings as well as to healthcare. All right. Uh, so Paul, Amy, uh, Kim, and Shoma got us started. And now let's uh, get to some of your questions in the Q&A. John, just a quick reminder so everybody uh, can see the questions. Yeah, just make sure your questions and comments are directed to all participants in the chat. Okay. I want to first start uh, one question now that uh, Laura Brennan has asked, and I think it's it's a really good one. Uh, when you show, uh, I don't know if we can go back to that slide that sort of shows all the community partners who are part of something. Um trying to get everybody on the same mind in the same mindset and there was a question about how did all these organizations also understand and get on the bandwagon with failing forward uh, quickly um, where was there a lot of work uh, in involved in that and maybe Amy will we'll start with you sure we what who my colleague at the health department Corey Kendrick we spend a lot of time in front of these organizations now. When, when we notice that there's one of those moments where it's a fail forward, we'll, we'll call it out. And even if it's related to one of us. And so I think in some of that humility, it begins to shed light that this is a normal part of how we're going to be successful. One of my taglines that I often say is that I don't want to wait three years for a formal evaluation to tell us something that we could have known one month in. And we have too many too much 
of our money invested in this model to wait that long to shift the course. We need to be able to move really quickly. And so a lot of the quality improvement tools that we have adopted through scale have been very successful. We've been able to show and talk about the plan, do, study, act cycles and show people that we're going to collect just enough information and we're doing this to improve our quality, not to point fingers, and that our data has not changed in our infant mortality rate. So while everyone is doing incredible work, there has to be a new way that it's has to be done. And I think that the value of bringing our community health workers to all of our meetings, not to serve as the sole spokesperson for every participant, but to add another level of dimension in our co-design has been really, really successful. What they talk about and what they share is so profound that anyone in the room who was struggling with these concepts can't deny the power of their words. Thanks so much. Um, I want to also ask a question uh, about the uh, information and the information sharing and whether HIPAA privacy issues, uh, you kind of alluded to that, and I was just curious. Uh, this can really uh, bring things to a halt, and uh, maybe I'll ask uh, Kim about that. Um, yes, that was uh, a challenge for us, and the good news was that one of our partners on this project was Colorado Access, who is the Medicaid provider for our region, and we asked them to participate um, because they're such a <clears throat> critical partner, and we also, um, because they are the state, they could help us with that, um, how to quickly navigate the challenges that we reach with the HIPAA uh, and data sharing. And one of the things that we recognized was that because this was a group of people who had never worked together before and some uh, agencies had barriers for sharing information and others did not, it was a great learning experience for all partners involved. And what we recognized was that we were, weren't really sharing personal information. We weren't sharing people medical charts. We weren't sharing um, individual um, police records. And so once everyone understood, oh, no, 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 we're not sharing all of that information. We're just sharing names and helping people to understand that this individual is working with a care manager, but we don't have a phone number to reach them. So if this individual shows up in the court or if the police happen to flag them for something, call us. And that became uh, an, an established network. So if one agency has contact with an individual and other agencies are trying to locate them, it, it's on a friendly um, basis. And we're all looking out for that individual. And so that network is established now. We have, we're sharing um, cell phone numbers so that we can all call each other right live, real time, and calling a community health worker um, when a police officer is engaging with a homeless person or an individual that clearly needs some resources. And so once everyone understood at what level are we sharing data, um, we were able to scrub some of our um, spreadsheets so that we could pull out maybe a Medicaid number and those kinds of things. And just, again, keep working through it so that we can 
fail forward, learn quickly, and move on so that we can help these individuals and make progress on this um, project and find out where we can make the best impact, the greatest impact at the community level. Okay, thanks. Another question uh, that's kind of uh, weaving its way through the chat regarding community health workers. In both cases in Akron and northern Colorado, um, community health workers uh, are there. It's kind of assumed they were there to be tapped and utilized and resourced. And um, I'm curious to what extent uh, in working across the 24 communities, and maybe, Paul, if it's okay, I'll ask you if if that's a kind of linkage uh, that has sort of come about, uh, either community health workers or people in positions like that, uh, somehow sort of rising more to the top in terms of an asset and resource that is not being maybe most effectively deployed uh, across some of these issues. Can I start with you on that, Paul? Sure. And yeah, Kim and Amy and Shoma, please feel free to uh, chime in. Yeah, I think uh, what we found was that there were some usual suspects that people were used to collaborating with and that you could do a lot more if you brought to the table some potentially unusual uh, suspects. And in many cases, that was people like community health workers and just the local community-based organizations who might be running a food pantry or uh, might be helping uh, get someone on food stamps. And so really, uh, when you think about the social determinants of health, really any type of organization providing a health or social service could be someone that could be really helpful. And so I think our communities really started to see uh, that they had more assets than they knew of and really adopting what we call a culture of abundance. We're assuming that there are resources. We just have to find and connect to them. Okay, thanks. Shoma? And I think one of those untapped resources often are actually the people who live in the community, uh, especially those communities that are most affected by inequity. We tend to think of that as a place to solve where we need to figure out solutions. And I, you know, in this, because we made sure that we really required communities to think about how people with lived experience could serve as major assets to their improvement teams, bringing in the critical knowledge and insights that they have from growing up in those communities and seeing how things actually worked, it it functionally elevated the roles and, and insights of group people like community health workers or community members who could be um, uh, improvement team partners in this. We call them community champions. Um, and I think that growth in leadership is of people with lived experience and what it took, how each of them had to learn, how teams had to learn how to integrate their voice in a way that was not about just asking what they needed, but actually help inviting them to help uh, generate solutions um, and how they needed to evolve in their understanding of their role too, from being more passive in giving uh, giving to actually really sharing and uh, demonstrating leadership in creating solutions. And there's a great paper about that. That will be one of the synthesis papers that comes out of scale that'll be released in July. Okay. Thanks a lot. So we can't put a link up yet, <laughs> but watch out for it. Uh, there's a question for you, Amy, and uh, maybe uh, Kim can weigh in as well. Uh, both of you have, have alluded to QI tools and uh, kind of methods that might have helped uh, with your work. Somebody's asking you, at least for starters, Amy, about uh, to say a little more about the what which ones you use, PDS, A-Cycle, SANA, 
um, kind of how, how they made the difference. I don't know if there's a sort of before and after story, but if uh, then and now, any way to kind of illustrate that? Sure. We, we've used a lot of the PDSA cycles for our data quality within the system. So pulling reports and seeing data completeness so that we would then be able to take that back to the community health workers and their supervisors. We've also used that to create a scorecard that we share with our supervisors. So how close are we to getting to some of the benchmarks in terms of the number of people that we want to serve, the percentage of African-American women that we're serving? serving, um, what percentage in the trimester that we are enrolling women. So very tangible, quick forms that we, you know, look in the system, but then we're able to pull that information and share it back directly. And then from there, we're able to have very concrete discussions. Well, how can we find more women in their first trimester? And so we engage um, all of the groups that partner with us to have those discussions, and then we have the information behind it. And then we come back again the following month and share what our results are um, in that regard. We've done a lot as well with um, <clears throat> our training process, so being able to show what how we have made tweaks and we've been documenting that as well. So that's given some more insight to what works the best. So one cohort might have received one level of training. And as we learned from them and we've shared with them, you know, you've taught us a lot and now here's how we've improved to move on to our, you know, training 2.0. Um, so those are some of the mm -hmm. things and continuously falling back to the ideals of you know, lived experience, leading together, and really making people feel comfortable with the information that we're presenting with data. Mm -hmm. Kim, uh, any ad additional thoughts uh, from uh, your work in Northern Colorado about improvement methods? Um, yes, I think Shellen might have mentioned it just a bit ago about bright spots. And for us, um, going into this, we really truly wanted to... Um, share with our leadership and stakeholders that, you know, other communities are doing similar things around this this topic of non-emergent 911 calls and how you can respond differently. And so we looked at multiple bright spots before we um, began our um, initiative. And so our, the difference with our model is that the bright spots we looked at, most of them are using um, behavioral health employees to and having them embedded with the fire department and and we really expanded it to meet the needs in our community and brought in the community health worker to really make a difference in our community and the police officers and the fire department have identified that to be uh, really one of the greater um, positive results because they're the first responders, but typically those individuals need resources that they're not aware of in the community. And we already had that bag of tools, and so that's what we do. So the Bright Spots was really critical for us, and we continue to use Bright Spots. Um, and many of the other um, aspects of the work that we do, and uh, at the community level, we've shared Bright Spots and the PDSA cycle with our community partners. Um, excuse me. Um, to what extent 
and I don't want to harp on this theme because we do a whole program. In fact, we did do a WIHI at some point. I don't know if Vicki can find it on community health workers where people we'll add it to their resource thing. And we really talked about uh, kind of an uneven picture, really, uh, at least in this country, in the United States, in terms of availability and training and certification and what sorts of skills um, are really needed. I guess I was going to ask Shoma, um, do you feel that there's something foundational uh, and it's sort of a need to kind of elevate even this particular uh, role and function and that in some ways it's a emerging role that does sort of uh, provide an awful lot of that connectivity between uh, diverse groups and partners. Absolutely. And I think what, what we've learned and what we've seen in the field and as we've looked at um, places that have made breakthrough, uh, uh, gotten to breakthrough outcomes, um, both in scale and across the world uh, in initiatives in 100 million, what we see is that there's a whole spectrum of how people with lived experience can contribute to creating solutions, some of which requires actually just training and learning how to be part of co-design and how to do uh, improvement and how to be effective at leading together, how to engage your uh, constituency of people and and be able to represent the story of their community to um, learning how to facilitate change processes, which some community people with lived experience have have begun to do as uh, community champions, uh, to all the way to getting professionally certified, um, providing peer-to-peer supports, and being able to be a service delivery provider. And I, I think it's really important for us to distinguish when is it that certification is needed to assure a certain uh, quality of service delivery, and when is peer-to-peer support, which has actually been a, a pretty strong evidence-based model, actually sufficient to get great outcomes without those credentials. And I think recognizing that it's a continuum and depending on what you're trying to do and who you're trying to do it with, you may need different levels of skills and certification, I think is a critical part of the conversation we need to have. Uh, Instead of making it a black and white, do community health workers need to be certified or not? Okay. And that's that's what we would offer. Yeah, terrific. Thank you. Uh, John, you want to break in here for a little bit? Um, Because we always love thinking about December. Uh. (laughs) Always thinking about December. Let's find the slide for our audience. (laughs) Sorry. No, it's okay. It's okay. So um, we did talk a lot about uh, population health today. And uh, one of the great things that's being offered at the forum this year is a population health track, which offers expertise on improving health outcomes for the populations of people with the diverse health needs that we discussed today um, by building partnerships between health systems and communities, which again, was discussed a little bit today on WHI. Um, so I recommend you check out IHI.org ihi.org slash forum tracks. It's a great place to find out about the population health uh, forum track as well as the nine others that we're offering um, this year at the National Forum, which is uh, December 10th through 13th down in Orlando. So we'll see you there. All right. Thanks so much, John. Shoma? And for those of you who are there, we'll be part of the population health track at the IHI forum. Almost certainly we'll meet some of these folks. Bringing together some of the scale health and care learnings, you will be some of the first uh, people who will get to benefit from it if you get to come. Yeah. ihi.org 
Tracks slash Form Tracks. <laughs> okay. We do like to talk about December in, in June well, and July. Exactly. All right. Um, we're, we're up to five minutes before the hour, so we're going to just quickly go around the horn. I'm going to ask Vicki to once again uh, put the scale link up there because in addition to finding out some key things about Scale 1.0 as we talk about it and uh, the last 24 months or so and now moving into Scale 2.0, and how you might consider uh, taking part. Uh, there's lots and lots of good information. There's also stories from 24 communities. Uh, so across the board, including the ones from Northern Colorado and Akron, Ohio. So um, I think people would really, they're visually very uh, effective and show you really, uh, you know, th- there's the sort of evidence of a lot of the different work that people have been doing across these communities. So, all right, I'm going to start uh, with uh, quickly, because uh, uh, we're almost out of time, just some parting words uh, from Paul, and then we'll go to Kim, and then we'll go to Amy and Shoma. Paul, start with you. Sure, I would say if you remember just a few things today, uh, any complex challenge, that you know, something that isn't purely technical, you will make mistakes along the way. If you embrace that, you can, you can move forward, and you never have to work in isolation. There's always someone else, maybe within your community, maybe elsewhere, that is already working on it. And uh, if, if you join CHAI, which is our online training and support system uh, available this fall, uh, you can learn about all the community of solution skills that we've touched upon today. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks so much for being part of the program. Uh, Kim? Uh, I just wanted to say that um, for those that want to try something different and get out there and take a risk, the fear of failing will prevent you from trying something new and making a difference in your community. So that's why I love this failing forward. And when you fail forward together with others, um, it's a real experience that you cannot um, change. And so the opportunity, and I really appreciate um, all of you. Thank you, Paul and Shoma. Wonderful. So glad you could be part of the program, Kim. Amy? I wanted to say thank you as well. Scale has been such a fundamental piece to our work, and I think part of what I would like to share is in order for me to wrap my arms around failing forward with our community partners, I had to wrap around that the idea of failing was okay and it had to become a critical part of our success in our work and that it didn't mean that there was a personal failure on my end or our agency side. It was that it was our opportunity to quickly shift and um, think about how we would move forward and do it in a better way. Okay, thanks so much. Uh, strong, uh, really, stories and examples here. Uh, Amy Budnick, as well, from Akron. And Shoma, you get more or less the last words. <laughs> well, I'm going to uh, call out something Laura Brennan put in the chat. Laura is from our one of our partner organizations in scale. Communities joined in action along with Community Solutions and the Network for Regional Healthcare Improvement. It really took this effort together. And uh, Laura says, fail is the first attempt in learning. And, you know, where, wh- however you're choosing to fail, fail forward, that's how you create. And whether you're doing it at the community level or in the, your healthcare organization, that's how we create a culture of safety and trust. And that's what we need to do to really create improvements. Right. So uh, we welcome you to take your first, 
first attempts in learning. All right. Terrific. All right. Uh, thank you again to our wonderful guests and to our audience. And we hope you will take advantage when you log off today. Uh, you can, uh, you'll be prompted. You want to download the slides. You can say yes if you'd like, or you can wait and get them on the website as of tomorrow morning. Uh, and the chat will be there as well as all the resources and the audio. There's also a survey that prop, excuse me, pops up. And we certainly appreciate it when you fill it out because we really uh, get a better sense of how this program was helpful to you and what we can always do better. So thanks for uh, taking just a minute or two to fill out that survey. Next up on WIHI on July 13th, we're going to talk about greater satisfaction, outcomes, and savings with self-administered care. Uh, We're talking about um, IV antibiotics and dialysis and some really, really groundbreaking uh, work that's going on in Sweden and in this country now, too. Uh, So look out for that. Uh, And you can check out the archive page for WIHI probably by tomorrow morning. That's when we get it all uh, set. And also subscribe uh, to the Institute for Healthcare Improvement uh, podcast on iTunes, and then you'll always be reminded when there is a new program. Any information whatsoever, you can email info at IHI.org. Folks there are happy to uh, set you in the right direction. There are a great group of people who help make WIHI possible in addition to our wonderful panel today. There's John Gothier, Matt Morris, Christine Leong. Uh, thank you, Christine. She's uh, had a wonderful co-op here and she's on her way. Maybe we'll get her back at some point. Uh, Joanna Carmona, Jameson Case, Vicki Minden, Val Weber, and Haley Ladd. And as always, it's my privilege to host this program that's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. And also, I think about failing forward. So, for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone.